Okay. Well, um, we took a bit of time praying about this retreat. And uh, when I say a bit of time, I've been thinking about it since last year. And uh, as we drew to the close of last year and we started coming up into this year, I um, during the holidays was just thinking what God would have us say. And some significant things have taken place between the time of of now and then. And so it makes the words that we're about to share on camp even more important, even more valuable. And uh, we have three sessions while we're here. And there's basically the theme, we didn't put out there, but the theme of of our retreat is, um, is, is foundational, foundational legs in Christianity. You know, I, I believe with all of my heart that there are three foundational legs in a Christian's walk and life with God. And, and, and the reason I have a stool with three legs is because, you know, a stool with three legs works really well when it has three legs. When it has three legs, it, it works really efficiently. You can sit on it. It can sustain you and hold you. But it, you take off one of these legs and it falls. It doesn't, doesn't sustain us. It doesn't hold us. You know, there are three vital areas in the life of a Christian which must be there. And they're the things we want to look at at this retreat. And those three things are truth, also known as doctrine. Second thing is experience, also known as worship. And the third third thing is practice, which is also known as practical living and action, practical service to God. And, and you know, the, the scary thing about our generation and our world today is, you know, it's very easy for people to create churches which are based on one of these legs. So, I mean, for instance, it's very easy to find churches which find one of these legs like doctrine and go, doctrine is the be-all and end-all. Truth is absolutely everything and experience and practical service doesn't even matter. And what happens is when, when churches start to focus on one leg, whether it be doctrine, whether it be worship, you know, we have the churches that, that just come about and, and they're, they're just focused on experience. It's all about just filling yourself up on Jesus and you just getting full, full, full. That's all it's about. That's all that matters. And then you have other churches which are solely focused on practical service. That if you're a Christian, you need to do this and we need to be out there and we need to be doing this and doing this and action, action, action. And every single one of those styles of churches is extremely detrimental because it creates unbalanced Christians. And unbalanced Christians, which do not have the, the fundamental pillars of Christianity, will always fall. They'll never be sustained in this world. And I think when it, when it comes to this retreat, there are things I, I, was, I was praying about and thinking about. I'm like, if we could do anything, even though it's quite simple and basic, I would love to reestablish these three pillars, which are non-negotiables, non-negotiables. Like we cannot afford to not have them. You know, you, you, we can't afford to sit in a church, which is just about one. All three of these things must be present. You know, I'm so thankful to God that in our church, it is like that. We do celebrate all three. We very much adhere to to truth. We're big on experience and worship. And we are massive on practical service as well. And it's always been great going up in a church which is balanced like that. And and as we start the first session, what I want to do is I want to start on what I believe is the most vital of the three. Like it comes first. It can't come second. It's always first. It has to be first. And this element that we're looking at, this leg, if you will, of the chair, of the stool, that we're going to start on tonight is truth or doctrine. The importance of truth and doctrine. 
And if you've got a Bible, we're going to open up to John 18.37. John 18.37. You know, John 18.37 is Jesus speaking. He's before Pilate, or as I used to formally call him, Pilate. Pilate. And, and Jesus is standing before Pilate and he says these words. He says, now for this cause, and this is big, like this is big. You don't want to miss this, what he's saying. I mean, he's coming to the end of his life. He's about to finish his time here on this world. Every sentence which is coming out is building up to a greater climax. And he says, for this cause, I've come into the world that I should bear witness to truth. So we're seeing a cause that he comes, and this cause is that he would bear witness to truth. And there's a couple of things we've got to realize when it comes to this. Firstly, what he's bearing witness to. What is truth? What is the truth Jesus came to bear witness to? And it'll be quick, but it's vital. We have to cover it. The truth Jesus came to bear witness to is that there is one God, one God, And he created every single one of mankind in his own image to worship him and to enjoy him forever. But mankind rebelled against God and sinned. And in doing that, mankind, they were deserving of death. Penalty was death. And God, out of his wonderful graciousness and mercy, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come down, take the form of a man, even though he was God, take the form of a man, And take the punishment that was owing to mankind for all of those who would put their trust in him so that they could be restored to God again. And that is the truth. That is the gospel. And that's what Jesus came to bear witness to. And so we know the truth. So that's what the truth is. The next thing that rings out is, okay, so he came to bear witness to the truth. Why? Why? Why is truth so important? What makes truth so valuable? Why is it that you have to have it and you can't do without it? And that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our session looking at. So why does he have to bear witness to truth? And the first thing is because through truth we are saved. Through truth we are saved. You know, I'm going to use truth a lot tonight and you could substitute it for Jesus. You could substitute it for the gospel. But I'll probably predominantly just say truth tonight. So through truth, we are saved. Now, if there's anywhere that we're going to go in life, there's any place that we are are longing to enter into, there is always a door which leads you in. It's always a door. There's always a way to enter in. Like when we came here, we're staying at the Ultima. In order to enter into this building, there was a door that you have to go through. You have to go through. I mean, you don't go through the door, you don't get in. And, and you know, salvation is, is exactly the same. Now, salvation isn't this esoteric thing which is just out there, which you just stumble into. Salvation has a doorway. In fact, Jesus says he is the doorway. He comes and he says, you know, I am the way. I am the truth. We're going to focus on truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am truth. And no one comes to God except through me. Truth. Truth. Romans 10, 17, it says, that we receive our faith, that our faith comes by hearing, and it comes from hearing by the word of God. Some of this stuff is going to be ringing off. You know, I've heard you, I've heard you say this stuff before. Track. We need to track with this. 
James 1.18, it says, Of God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. And this is all through the Bible. 1 Peter 1.23 says the same thing. It says, We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, through the word of God. We are born again. I understand life has come to us. Born again, we are given life in and through the truth. Ephesians 1.13, it says, Now it's in Him we trusted after we heard the truth of the gospel. So we're seeing this entrance point that anybody that is to come to God, the doorway which leads to God is truth. And if you don't go through truth, you never get to God. And, you know, and, and that's a scary thing because if we want to neglect truth, basically what we do is we neglect salvation because salvation comes through truth. And I mean, not only does salvation come to us like we enter through truth, we become a doorway for each and every person. We present a doorway through our lives and what we say. Now, we either present truth to people and say, this is the way to God, Jesus Christ. This is His word. This is the gospel. It's the only way. Or we make up our own philosophies about if you want to come to God, it's cool. You, you know, there's plenty of stuff out there. There are plenty of ideas. There are plenty of philosophies that, you know, in the end will lead you to God. So there's multiple paths, multiple different ways. Ways, and that is not the gospel. Multiple different ways are not truth. There is only one truth, and it is Jesus. And we cannot take that out of our life. That cannot be stripped away. I mean, the reason we come to Jesus is through it. It is our doorway. And not only is it a doorway, but it also proceeds into being a hallway which leads us in this life for what it is we're here to do. Now, most of us have read before in Mark twelve thirty. there's this verse, and it talks about what is most important. When it comes to mankind, what are the things that are most important for us? What is the greatest commandment? Mark 12.30. Now, what is the greatest commandment? And this is it. You catch it though. It says that you would love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Now, it comes out of Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3, where God says, I am the Lord your God, and there will be no other things before me. You will have no other gods before me. But when you think about loving God, I mean, it's not a small thing, yeah? I mean, you think about it. Love Him with all of your soul, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength. I mean, most relationships we enter into this world, marriages, family relationships, will never have that connection of love. I mean, we will never be so enamored in the person that every part of me is just like, oh, I love you. And that's what, when I read that, I think, wow, that's a big ask. He's saying that we're meant to love him. The greatest thing we're here to do is to love him with every part of us. And the scary thing is for most of us, it's just not how it looks. I mean, we love Him, but it's not like our, our whole being yearns for Him. It's not like our whole being cries out to Him and longs to serve Him and longs to live for Him. There's parts of our lives that do, but not every part of us. And the thing about truth is, truth is the beginning of relationship with God. It's the way back to God. And truth is the thing that actually enables us to love God in the way that He asks us to. Because understand, this love that God's asking for, He actually deserves. You know, we can sit up here and go, you should love me like this. And you know, in worldly senses, people say that and people are like, well, not really because you have flaws. <laughs> you annoy me. 
You know, I, I do things for you and sometimes you don't reciprocate and do them back. I, I put effort towards you and sometimes I feel like it's not coming back in return. I know you think you're wonderful, but you've actually got flaws. And so when we hear about like loving somebody with everything, it comes to this place where most of the time it's like, okay, I know, but you don't really deserve it. Problem is God does actually deserve it. And that's a real problem. Why? Because you're not going to be able to use the excuse, God, that, oh, you know, I wanted to love you, but really you just didn't do it for me. It's not going to stand. And the gospel, the truth, is the very thing which, which reveals to us that he is worthy of all of it. And the truth, you know, the Bible and everything which leads out of the gospel is the very thing which creates that love that God deserves in our every being. And we're going to go to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. And we're reading from verse 5. And it reads, and it says, now, the purpose of the commandment, the purpose of God's word, God's law, everything God has said. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. And and that is something you want to stop on. You want to realize every single time we read something in the Bible that we don't like, that doesn't suit us, which we're not, we're just like, oh, man, uh, no. Every single time we read one of that, that is actually the thing which generates love from a pure heart. And if you want to disregard that, then you want to disregard loving God the way he deserves to be loved. And that's a full-on thing because we'll read through things in the Bible which actually at different times in our life will be very hard to adhere to. We'll read about different things and go, oh, you know what? Oh, I don't think that applies right now. Or I think that was in a different context back then. Or it's not important today. But the scary thing is, is Jesus, when he comes... He says, you know everything I'm saying? You know everything the Bible's recorded in the Old Testament? Not a single bit of it will pass away. It'll all stand. And you know, we hear about Jesus when he comes in the Beatitudes and he comes through and teaches this Sermon on the Mountain and never once does he disregard truth. Never once. Now he absolutely corrects poor understanding of truth. It goes something like this. Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbors. You shall love the people who are good to you and you shall hate your enemies. And the problem with that is never in the Bible does it ever say you should hate your enemies. So when Jesus comes and actually affirms and says, You know what you, you know, I know it says this, but this is it. You've heard it said. What you heard was a lie. It's not what the Bible actually means. There are plenty of poor interpretations out there on Scripture and how it is we should live it out. But every single piece of it grows our affection towards God. Every single piece, every single word written on these pages is actually empowering us to love God with every single part of our being. And that's hard because you go through topics like wrath and you go, oh man, what's the deal with wrath? Wrath actually is love. And it's one of the things that when you understand it, it generates so much affection in your heart towards God. Firstly, because we're all deserving of it. Secondly, because he didn't impute it to us in this moment. He sent his son to take it for all those who put their trust in them. Wrath is something that people deserve. You know, some people don't like jealousy. They go, well, God's a jealous God. You know, he shouldn't be jealous because jealousy is a sin. It's not for God. You know why? Because the Bible says we're his bride. And when you're married, if your partner was to be having an affair, absolutely you should be jealous. There's nothing wrong with it. You're married. Now, different if it's a person you're not married to in a covenant relationship being jealous. 
God can be jealous all he wants. In fact, the very point that he is jealous tells us how much he loves us. He doesn't just go, oh, I have the affair, I don't really care. Every single bit of scripture creates love from a pure heart towards God. So truth begins our salvation and it enables us to do the first commandment, the greatest commandment of all, to love God with every single part of us. And the journey we're here in this life, we will always be working on developing love from every single part of us. You know, we will not hit perfection in this world where we got it and every part of me now, but we will long and crave for it. We will be grieved by our sin and we will long to love God every single day with more of ourselves, more of our being, more of our action, more of our thoughts, more of our heart. And the Christian life here in this world is endeavoring every single day to be transformed into the image of Christ, that we might do what the Father does, that we might say what the Father tells us to say. And so we're saying, so why is Jesus coming and bearing witness to truth? One, because truth is the foundation of salvation. Two, is truth is the only thing which enables us to love God in the way that God deserves. And thirdly, Jesus comes and bears witness to truth because truth is meant to be treasured. It really is. You know, going back probably about just over a year ago, this came alive to me that truth was something that was meant to be treasured. You know, if you're going back a year with us, you probably remember a message I did about it. And, and I've thought on it a lot. You know, I've thought about truth a lot and that the, the people of old, how they view truth is so different to the way we view truth. I mean, you know, the saints of old and what they thought about truth and what they said about God's word, it's just so different to what we say about it. In fact, in our day and age, the, the word of God is so undervalued. It's so undervalued. I mean, and the reality of that isn't hard. I mean, the Bibles aren't things that people read every single day anymore. I mean, they're things that not even everybody has. Don't read them and don't meditate on them. I mean, you would never, ever, ever believe that the Bible actually is what John says it is. You know, you know in John 6, 68, Jesus is there and he's taught this really hard saying. And everyone bails on him. And they all leave. And he goes to his disciples. And he's like, you guys are going to go as well? And you know what Peter says? He says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You would never know that these are the words which lead to eternal life in our day and age. I mean, if we were to do a survey and go to everyone, okay, you would give a few offers of things that you wanted. You could have all the money you want in this world. And you'll die. And that's the end of it. You could have all the physical pleasure you desire in this world. But when you finish your life or if you get a tragic disease and your life finishes early, sorry, that's it. Or you can have eternal life and joy forevermore. What would you like? You do a survey like that, I can promise you, except for the odd egg, that's like, I'm going to be funny and I'm going to say pleasure here. And then when I die, it's over. That everyone would be like, I'll take, uh, I will take eternal life forevermore. And if you were to tell those people, okay, well, this very thing, every single word in here, it leads you to eternal life. You read through this thing. This thing is going to give you eternal life. These very words are a person called Jesus. They're all about a story, God's story. You read this, it is going to lead to eternal life. You just never know that today. I mean, seriously, would you know that of my life? Would you know that of your life? When people see the effort and the time you put into your Bible, does it look like this is really the thing which leads to eternal life? Or is it just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, they read a bit here and there. Because this is the deal, like, that's kind of what it looks like for us in our world. But in the, in the, in the Bible, it just doesn't look like that. I mean, and I'm just going to bring out three people. And we could go through heaps because there's plenty of them in there. But I'm just going to tell you three. First person I just want to reflect on for a minute is Job. Now, Job, 
goes through, and I would say it is the most extreme, horrible suffering in this world that anyone experienced second only to Jesus. I mean, Job gets absolutely everything stripped away from him, and he was the only righteous guy in the world. He's not even a sinner at that point. I mean, it says most righteous guy at that point in time. He loses everything. All of his children are are, are killed. He loses all of his possessions, all of his worth, everything. It all goes in a moment, really quickly. I mean, he's getting news every single moment. It's like, oh, everyone, you you know, all your kids just died. Oh, my gosh. Hey, all your flocks got stolen. All your, you know, your servants, they're all dead too. Oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, all your money, that's gone too. And then he gets struck down with sickness and illness and horrible suffering. In fact, his own wife comes to him and says, why won't you just curse God and die? You know what it says this guy says? One verse, just one verse I'll tell you. It's recorded in Job 23.12. So, so Job is in the midst of this. I mean, it's not like it's all dandy. It is horrible. He's going through the most intense suffering. Job's suffering's that bad that people don't even like reading Job. Don't even tell me about Job. I don't want to read about that guy because it might happen to me. And so Job's here. All these horrible things are happening. Job 23, verse 12. You know what he says? He says, your words, I have treasured your words. Catch it. I have treasured your words more than my daily necessity of food. I mean, I'm in the midst of horrible circumstances. Now you think you're sick. What's the first thing you're, you're treasuring? Please give me health. You're starving. What are you wanting? Give me food. All tragedies before you what, are you, what are you treasuring at that point in time? It says he is treasuring truth. He treasures it so much, he doesn't even care about food. It's like it means more to me than food. That's one guy. And you know, Job actually makes it through all the sufferings that is allowed to come across him and upon him. And he makes it out. And that's what he thinks of truth. There's another guy, David. He's pretty well known. There's an incident with a giant and a sling, and it kind of like raised him up there. So a lot of people hear about David, pretty popular guy. But you know, David's the one guy in the Bible that's recorded as a man who had a a heart after God's own heart. What does David think about God's word? We're looking at Psalm 119, verse 162. And this is David. David says, I have rejoiced in your word as much as in great treasure. I rejoice in your word like the word of God right here. The word of God. I rejoice in this thing as much as in great treasure. Not just any treasure. I mean like great treasure. The kind of treasure that you find where that's it for life. You don't need anything else ever again. And that's what he thinks about God's word. He says, God's word, oh my gosh, I rejoice in it. it to me, it's, it's like great treasure. It's like something you find, which is just once you've found it, that's it. You're good. And David's recorded as a guy, the only guy that has a heart after God's own heart. Third person, Paul. Paul. Now, most of us would know Paul. You know, if you're in church any length of time, if you don't know Paul, that's okay. Paul is one of the New Testament writers in fact, his writings basically make up the majority of the New Testament. I mean, like everything that's recorded here in the New Testament, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
Acts, and you come out of Acts, and you're reading Paul. Come through the Corinthians, you're reading Paul. Galatians, Paul. Ephesians, Paul. Paul, 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 Paul. What the heck does Paul think about truth? I mean, that's interesting. So we've got a few people. We've got this one guy. He reckons truth's so good, it's better even than his daily necessities of food. And he comes through the most horrible situation and circumstances, rejoicing on the other end. And in fact, it works out even better, the Bible says, for him on the other end. You've got another guy that's recorded as a guy that has a heart after God's own heart. And he thinks the word's so good, he rejoices in it as much as he does in great treasure. And then you've got this other guy who's written the bulk of the New Testament, most of the epistles that we read. What does he think about truth? Philippians 3.8. Here's what he thinks about truth. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So we've got three people here. And in the Bible, I mean, they're people that you're looking at going, man, what's the deal with them? Three people and every single one of them has the most amazing value on truth. I mean, it means everything to them. They treasure it. They love it. Like, I don't even care about it. You can take everything else. I just want the knowledge of my Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. It's all I care about. You got another guy saying, man, it is like the greatest treasure you will ever find. And another guy saying, it is better than your daily necessities of food. That's how good the Word of God is. Truth is given to us to be treasured. It's meant to be treasured. Why? Because if we treasure truth... In treasuring truth, we treasure a couple of things. Firstly, salvation. Secondly, in treasuring truth, we treasure the love of God. I mean, when this is a priority to people, what it says is, what's a priority to me is salvation. It's amazing. Salvation that came to me undeserved and salvation that I now get to present this gift off to every single other person. People that treasure truth, what it says about it is, I value loving God. I want to love God with every part of my being. It's what I desire. And it's the word that creates that. It's what generates this love from a pure heart. Philippians 1.9 says that our love abounds towards God more and more in all knowledge of God and all the truth of God and all discernment. And Jesus comes to bear witness of truth for these three reasons. That we'd realize that truth is the entry point to salvation. I am the truth. No one comes to God except through me. That the one greatest commandment is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and, and it is through the commandments that you're able to love God with a pure heart. And truth is so valuable. You've got to treasure it. It is what's going to lead to you fulfilling the commandments of God by the grace of God. Truth is the grace of God. The fact that we get to hold it so freely. The fact that we get to read it whenever we want. Oh my gosh. When people in other countries, you know, they scramble for a page of this. Some of them don't even have a whole Bible. They just have pages and they hold on to it and they read it and they memorize it. Some people, they just get elements of truth. They'll get small portions and it means so much to them. They, they memorize like so much of it. The whole book of Matthew. And, and we're given this thing called truth. And, and the reason that we are given to it, just think about it. We're given it and it's to be treasured. Now, just think about it for a moment. How is it that you treat treasure? How does he actually treat treasure? David has another 
verse Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you find something that's treasure, how is it that you treat it? And this is our applications. I think about this for a moment. How is it that we treat treasure? I'll tell you the first thing. When it comes to treasure, if you actually have treasure, you are going to keep it in such a secure place. Remember, we're referring this to truth. Truth is treasure. So when it comes to treasure, generally if you have treasure, you're keeping it on you. If not, you're putting it in the most safest place ever. In this regard, I'm thinking truth's so valuable, it's something you keep on you. I mean, like you go out and you've got it with you, you're not putting it down. It's staying with me. The next thing about treasure, anyone ever have one of those things that you really treasured growing up? Maybe it was a pocket knife, it was a doll, I don't know, something. And you know the next thing that happens with treasure? Treasure is something that you constantly look at. I just want to make sure it's still there. So I mean, you put it somewhere and it's like, I've got to make sure it's still there. So, So we're constantly looking at, making sure it's there. Treasure, we're always looking back at it. Once again, application, we're talking about truth. Truth is the thing that's to be treasured. So firstly, if truth is the thing for us to be treasured... Is it kept in a safe place? Is it always with it? Do we treat it like it's something that, oh my gosh, no, no, it's got to be with me. This thing means so much. Is it something that we constantly look at? Like you always looking back like, does Paul really say that? (laughs) Is Will making up scriptures? Is that what the Bible really says? Keep glimpsing back. Truth. Something we should keep looking back at. The third thing I think about truth, application, application for truth. First one, it's something which is always near, it's precious. Second thing about truth, it's something you always look at. Always going to look at. Third thing about it is you know it really well. I mean, you think about it. You know my pocket knife I had growing up? I knew every single little thing you pulled out of it and where it was and how you pulled it out. I knew that it had a toothpick and tweezers. And when the toothpick wasn't there, I knew. Sophie, what the heck did you do with my pocket knife? And the truth is so valuable that you know every single inch of it. You know it like the back of your hand. You know that treasure so well. Why? Because if any of it goes missing, you want to know. If anything disappears, you know. Why? Because it means so much to you. You're not willing to lose any of it. It means so much that I can't afford to lose any of it. It's so important. And I'd apply that to basic life. So when it comes to truth, I mean, really, do you keep truth on you? Is it something that you do what David did and you hide it in your heart? I mean, do you get scriptures and, and put them in your mind and meditate on them and stuff them in your heart? Now, they're not coming out no matter what happens. You go through the toughest situations where it seems like God obviously must hate you because look what he's letting happen to you. You go, no, 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 he never rejoices. He, he never turns from doing me good. Jeremiah 32, 40, 41, he, no, no, he rejoices to do me good. Never turns from doing me good. You hold on to, to verses like Genesis fifty twenty. You know, people meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He meant it for good. And if it happened, he meant it for good. He never turns from doing me good. He loves me. Is treasure something that's so hidden in your heart that even in the toughest situations you're not going to sin against God because it means that much? Does it mean that much? Would you really know, would you really know that these are the words which lead to eternal life when people look at your walk with God? 
Do you really treasure it like the saints of old treasure it? As in you believe that it is the key to loving God. And in loving God lies the love of men. If you cannot get the first commandment, you will never get the second commandment. And we love God by seeing how much he loves us. First John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. You know, the Bible is some of the sweetest love letters that you will ever read. And they're to us. And they're to grow our affection towards God and our love towards God. So we've done a few things. Firstly, we've established what this truth is that Jesus came to bear witness to. It's the gospel. We've established why it is he came to bear witness to it when he was here. I mean, like, for this purpose I have come. Why? Because truth is the doorway to salvation. Truth is the very thing which enables the love of God. And truth is something to be treasured. That's why I came to bear witness to it. We've established that. We get that. But, you know, I know, I know for, for some of us tonight, what might be ticking through our brain is we hear all this and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So what happens if you don't treasure truth? So, I mean, let's say that you don't actually see truth like that. If you, if you choose not to value truth like that, I mean, like every single word of it, you choose to just take a little bit and leave a little bit. You choose to abide to some and to not listen to other stuff. Then what happens? What happens if you don't treasure truth? And we're going to finish up in the book of Romans. Chapter 10. What happens if you don't? value and treasure truth i'll read to you what happens if you do not treasure truth you do not love truth romans 10 verses 1 and 2 this is paul paul says brethren My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved because they are not saved. For I bear witness to them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, and they are not saved. So what if you don't want to treasure truth? I mean, say you don't want to view truth. You don't treat it like that. It's something you could take or leave. That I mean, I've got a little bit of it, but, it, you know, a little's all I need. What happens to people that don't treasure truth? When people don't want to do that, this is what happens. You get left with a bunch of people who say, I love God, and they are not saved. They are not saved. That's what we get left with when we don't treasure truth. Understand how vital truth is. It is the very point where we enter into life. It is the very thing which sustains that life and love of God. And it is something which cannot afford to be put aside and not treasured. You can't afford to neglect the Word of God. I mean, I plead with you tonight, you cannot afford to neglect the Word of God. You think you can just take some and leave some? I mean, because this is what it looks like. It comes down to this point where it's like, okay, okay, I know what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but I think I'm saved. Okay, well, why? What the heck makes you believe you're saved? What? Because you love God? Because you have a passion for God? You tell people about Jesus? Because you partake in religious acts of service? 
Matthew 7, 21 to 23, these people come, Lord, I mean, we did miracles, we cast out demons, we did great things in your name. Workers of iniquity, not according to knowledge. You didn't love me according to my word. You loved me according to what suited your pride, to what puffed you up and made people think you were wonderful. You did not love me the way I asked to be loved, the way I deserved to be loved. What makes us believe we're safe? What, we love God? We partake in religious acts of service? What, an experience that we've had? When we don't want to listen to truth and we don't value truth, this is what happens. We break off one of the most vital legs of the chair. We are unbalanced and we think we're safe, but we disregard the word of truth. What does that mean? We disregard Christ. <coughs> Romans 1.18, this is what Paul says. He says, you know, the wrath of God is poured out upon people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. People that, you know what, I know what it says, but I'm not going to do it. They suppress the truth. They don't live the truth in unrighteousness. And God says, my wrath is coming upon them. People that say they believe my word but don't live it, my wrath is coming upon all ungodliness, which hides the beautiful truth of my son, the beautiful truth which says to live for me is a greater joy. Proverbs 13, 13, wisest man in the world, Solomon, he says, he who despises the word of God will be destroyed. The wrath of God is poured out upon all men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness? It's this. I love God. Here, you should have Jesus. But I don't love him enough to actually listen to every single word he says, so I'm not going to live it. And people come in and go, wow, you love God. I should love Jesus. Look at your life. Serious? You can still watch trash. You can still watch perversion. You can still have sex outside of wedlock. Awesome. Suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. I'm not holding it up for Jesus. I'm suppressing what I know is truth. I know it's true, but I'm suppressing it. Yeah, I know. I know that I should be worshiping Jesus with all my time and energy, but you know what? The surf just means so much more to me. This feeling I get when I'm drunk just means so much more to me. Suppressing the truth that God is the greatest joy. The living with him and for him is what brings about fullness of joy forever. Suppressing the truth. And God says, people that want to suppress the truth and do not look to me, do not look to my truth. You know what the Bible says? It says the truth transforms us. Do you know when we actually start to live according to the way God asks? It's because of truth. It transforms the way we see things. So the things we used to think, oh, I really like this and I enjoy this. We see what truth says. We see what Christ did when he died on the cross. We see everything that was poured out upon him and realize that, you know what, if I don't trust in him, it's coming to me. And we hear what God says and God says, you know, don't do this. Do not commit adultery. Do not look at a woman to lust for her. Don't do these things. Look towards me, depend on me, cry out to me, pray to me. Read my truth and I will transform you. Look at Jesus Christ every single day and I am merciful and forgiving and loving and look to him and he will transform you. Don't look to him. Don't look to him. Don't adhere to truth. Suppress truth and you'll be destroyed. And friends, this does not make God unloving. It's the very thing that makes God loving. The fact that God values it so much 
it is so important and valuable to God that you cannot shake that. You don't want to live to it. God says, I'm sorry. Well, there's only one thing that's, that's most valuable. If you don't want to hear to that, I'm not going to go, well, look, it's not that valuable. I'll let you off. You know, if God let people off, all he's saying is it's not really worth that much. Not really worth that much. And God doesn't do that. He gives his son for us that we might put our trust in him and look to him to transform us while we're here in this world. He gives his son to take the punishment for every single person who will put their trust in him and believe him that he will come and live in them and create in them the desires to live for God. Even though they won't be perfect, they will desire God more than anything else. They'll abhor evil. They'll hate evil. They'll cling to good. They'll look to God to keep them in their life. And when they fall short, they they rise and repent to God and ask for God to transform their mind and reveal to them why they went wrong and to help us get out of this situation. God promises he'll be faithful. He provides this, and for every single person that doesn't want to put their trust in Christ, all the punishment that he took on the cross, that it was for them, then all the punishment that Christ took on the cross, if you do not believe in that and trust that, all of that punishment is coming to us eternally. God is not evil. God is so merciful and good. The fact that we never even deserved that, but he gave it to us and reaches out his hand and reveals his goodness in and through the gospel truth and says, come to me. Come to me. Friends, you can't despise truth. You cannot make light of this. And I know for many of us, we're in this place where it's like, well, I just don't see it like that and I want to. And that's the wonderful thing. And maybe you're here and you go, but I don't really want to. That's still a wonderful thing. Because you know what? When it boils down to it, it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. You know what he says? He says, you cry out to me. You know what David does? He commits a horrific sin, adultery, and then murders a guy, has a guy killed, and he comes to God. You know what? He knows what to pray. He says, God, would you create in me a clean heart? I know my heart's wicked. I know I'm not living for you, but would you create in me a clean heart? Would you renew a steadfast spirit within me? Lord, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? I've lost sight of it. Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? And would you uphold me to walk in that salvation by your generous spirit? We pray prayers with David. Psalm 119, 36. God, would you incline my heart to your word and keep me from coveting things of less value? You know, we're in this place and we're sitting here tonight going, I'm hearing everything you say and I'm, I'm hearing all the scriptures and, you know, I'm not doubting it, but I just don't desire it. We cry out to God to create in us what is already missing. And God is faithful to do it. You know, the next thing which blows me away, you know, when you come to God and repent of sin, God, it says he washes sins away. He washes sins away takes the crimson red, he washes them white as snow. He washes us, he clothes us in truth again. He promises he'll empower us and give us what we need to live for him. And then he beckons out his hand and calls to us, follow me, follow me, follow me. And I'd love it if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, when I was praying through tonight and thinking through everything to be said, 
You know, there's this part of you which wants to leave out some of the truth. There's this part of me that just wants to come and say, you know what? You, you know, truth that's important, it leads to salvation. A truth that's important, it'll, it'll make you love God. And truth's something that needs to be treasured. Treasure truth, it'll help you love God. It's the way to salvation and finish there. But there's this thing inside of me which reads all of the truth. And you know, when I pray for this ministry, we pray for, we call it this family, this community of believers. There's a part of me which wonders that if I was to ask you why it is you were saved, what it is you would say. There's a part of me which wonders if I was to ask you, do you value truth and believe everything the Bible says? And does your life reflect it in some manner? I know you're not perfect, but does it reflect your love for the word and not for sin? I'm not sure what everyone would say. I'm positive there's a heap of people that would say, I love God. I have a passion for God. I'm just not sure that it's according to truth. And the problem with that is, if it's not according to truth, you're not saved. If you despise the word of God, you'll be destroyed. There's a part of me which looks and thinks about every single one of the flock, every single one of the people that are here. People that some of us, we got to do life with you guys for a couple of years now. And I think to myself, do they know Christ? Do they know? Could they tell me why they're saved? Do they love truth? Do they realize how precious it is? You know, I pray so many times at night that God would ignite in people's hearts a passion for the truth and a passion for doctrine. Because it is so undervalued. It is so undervalued. It is the words of life. It leads to life. And there is no other way except through it. They're not horrible commandments. They're commandments which generate love from a pure heart. They're commandments that the Spirit of God so wondrously works on our heart and reshapes us and remolds us from our evil way of thinking. You know, I remember over a year ago where God ignited in me such a passion for truth. And my life changed. Everything changed. Some people go, well, man, you, you know, you, you really love your Bible. I never used to. And I pastored for years. And some weeks I wouldn't have even read my Bible if I didn't have to preach a message. That's the only reason I read it. For years. I get up and say, I love God. I didn't adhere to all the truth. I didn't care about all the truth. Over a year ago, maybe, I come to that now, it's probably two years ago now. God created this fire inside of me that yearned for truth, that yearned to read my Bible, that yearned to meditate on Scripture. And my life has been transformed by the power of God, creating something inside of me which was not there. You sit here tonight and go, Will, it's not there. It wasn't there for me. There were pages in a book and I didn't seem to find too much life in them. But God ignited something inside of me which transformed my world where I've walked away from sin, walked away from things, and I look at truth and pray God keeps me from sin and He transforms me and He helps me to live righteously in this world so that people might catch a glimpse of the way He truly looks in part through this flawed human body and mind. 
time. Like, God, what do we do tonight? What do we do tonight? And there's only one thing I think we can do. I think we pray that God inclines our heart to love His Word. That we pray that God would create something inside of us which may not be there. That we pray that God restores to us the wonder of the truth of salvation. And not just that He does this, but He upholds us to walk in it. He creates desire and He sustains us to do it. That He keeps our eyes fixed on Him. You know, I'm sure there's people here tonight that are caught up in a blunder of sin. And sin will only stop you if you choose to keep your eyes on it and not on Jesus. You know, lots of the time we're in sin and we just don't know how the heck we want to get out of it because we don't want to get out of it. And we don't want to get out of it because we look at it and we meditate on it and we think on it and we constantly muse on it and the fire burns inside of us about these situations of sin. Friends, God doesn't call us to look at sin. He calls us to look at Jesus. You know, what you want to look at is what it is that's going to consume your mind, your thoughts. And before you know it, you will be loving it with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. You will be so embedded and committed to sin. Because you consume yourself. You focus on it, you look at it, you dwell on it. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware bad teaching. Beware idols, idol talk, things that lead to sin. Do not partake. But come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened down. For I can give you rest. Come to me, look at me, learn from me. You will find rest for your soul. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Because I will create in you everything you need. I will sustain you with the power to walk out everything that I'm calling you to. Look at me. Look at me. And I feel that's what God would say to people tonight. Can you just look at me tonight? Now, and this is what sin does. It makes us hide and cover ourselves in our shame and our nakedness and not want to look at Christ. But looking at Christ is the only way out. Coming to truth is the only way out to be transformed. To identify the wickedness of our heart. And so I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to ask for people tonight, if, if that's you and you just don't hunger truth like that, to kneel before God tonight. And plead with God to create in us that heart. Because you know, God is such a good God. Matthew 7, 7, He says, Ask, come to me and ask. Seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door will be open. I will give you my spirit who will create in you not only the desires, but, but give you the strength and the empowerment you need to live and fulfill everything I'm calling you to. Ask, ask. How much do you ask? How much do I ask? Because you know when it pans down to it, my love for God isn't just pending my salvation. My love for God is pending the salvation of so many more. Why? Because how shall they hear if there is not a preacher? How shall they hear if nobody will go? How will they believe if nobody will tell them? Maybe you want to kneel tonight. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you want to sit. You can worship in whatever way is comfortable for you. If you don't go, well, I don't want to kneel, don't kneel. 
You worship in whatever way fits you, whatever way you naturally go to. If kneeling is forcing you to do something that you don't like doing, don't. Worship in the way that is natural for you. And come to God and cry out upon Him from the deep sincerity of your heart that He might transform you, that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. And ask, and I believe you will receive. Seek, and I believe here on this retreat, 2012, we'll find this desire for the Word of God which you've not ever experienced. Knock, and I believe God will open up a new area of our heart which burns to know Him more deeply, which burns to love Him more intimately, which craves to see how much He loves us so we don't look for it so much in other areas of things which constantly fall short in their ability and power to love us. Would you just find your space tonight? Would you hop in that place that you want to hop tonight as we cry out and call upon Him? As we take some time and we worship Him, would you open your heart to the Spirit of God? Would you not be hard-hearted tonight? Would you just make yourself vulnerable and open yourself and say, God, come and do a work. You know, I can't see myself getting out of it, but you can. And if you can, would you come? Could you take my attention off my sin? Could you throw my eyes to Jesus? Could you lead me out of this shadowy, dark place? Why are you disquieted? And why are you saddened, my soul? Look to God, for we shall yet praise Him again. And Father, I pray by the power of Your Spirit. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by Your Spirit that you come and you pierce flesh and you pierce blood and you come and create a clean heart inside of us tonight. You come and create a heart which yearns for truth, which longs for truth, which beckons intimacy with you. Would you create in us a heart which longs to love you in the way you deserve, a heart which is encouraged in you that you will uphold us and you will sustain us. Would you create in us something that we can't even see? For we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. We don't walk according to things we see. We walk according to the things we can't see. And Father, we know that you are faithful. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things that pertain to life and godliness and his glory and our joy? Father, would you do heart surgery tonight by your word, by your truth? Would you come and even though when it pierces, pain comes in the pierce, would you bring a cure which takes away pain tonight? Would you bring peace to heart? Would you come and take away the, the horribleness of sin and the feeling of wretchedness and the feeling of I, I hate myself and I'll never do it? And can you restore to us hope in you? Can you keep enough wretchedness inside of us that we always depend on you? But can you take away these horrible emotions which lead us from you and create in us things which would hope in you and trust in you and take us to you?
that's so crazy. You know, Lee and I have been praying for this and thanking that God's going to give us words for people. And you know, it's funny, Lee said to me yesterday, she said, oh, I just feel that like you know, God's going to say something. He's just going to say something. He's going to come. You know, I waited in my spirit on God to show me words that he might have me say to people. And you know what I feel? He says, I've said it. Could you just leave them with me? Could you just leave them with me that I might tend to their hearts? Could you just leave them with me that I might become and to remake them and remold them and make them back into who it is I see, what it is I see of them, that I might be able to conform them back into the image of my son? I do not feel that I will be giving any words tonight to anybody because I think Christ has said it all. And I think I want to finish in this time of sincere, deep worship where we plead with God to create something inside of us which isn't there, a hunger for truth. And we worship Him and we stay here in this place for as long as we want and we plead and we allow His Spirit to so wonderfully comfort us and nurture us. And yes, He convicts us of sin, but He leads us to righteousness. He convicts us of our wrongs, but He tells us where it is, where to go. He leads us out of our wrongs. He puts our eyes on Jesus. So powerfully work in this place, in these moments, in this time.